How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bose Football Final here at KHON2.com. And everywhere you listen to podcasts, I'm your host, Rob DeMello, and joining me, my Spectrum Sports buddy, Spectrum Sports analyst, former University of Hawaii player and coach, the one and only Rich Miano and coach. Now that is a signature win for first-year head coach Todd Graham at the University of Hawaii as the Rainbow Warriors beat Nevada 24-21, the previously undefeated Nevada Wolfpack at Aloha Stadium on Saturday night. We have a lot to unpack in regards to this victory over the Wolfpack, a big one that took the University of Hawaii to 3-3 three and three on the season. But first things first, biggest takeaway from this game, what did you learn about this Rainbow Warrior football team? Uh, one is they're resilient. One is uh, they, they faced adversity in terms of a couple of their past outings. But I think the takeaway was is they're good enough. And we, we were talking about that with the game on crew, with yourself and RJ and Kavika Hallams, that with this football team puts a full game together, offense, defense, and special teams. They don't have to play perfect. But if they put a full game together, they could be – they could run the table. They could have been way more competitive against the Boise States and the San Diego States of the world. Uh, I, I guess Wyoming is, to me, is a one-off. I really believe that Chevin Cadero is the most dangerous quarterback in this conference. I really believe that Calvin Turner Jr. is the best football player in this conference. They are loaded with talent. They are becoming more disciplined. And they're starting to believe in their coaches. They're starting to believe in each other. And I think this is the first game we saw where they won on offense, defense, and special teams. Yeah, absolutely. A complete game victory for the University of Hawaii. And that means we have a lot to talk about in regards to those units. And when you look at Todd Graham and his demand for disciplined football, his demand for not turning the ball over and being efficient on both offense and defense, you're absolutely right. They showed that on Saturday night. And we'll start with the quarterback, Chevin Cordero, where he goes 26 to 32 passing for 246 yards, one touchdown. He adds 62 yards rushing and another score on the ground. And just so many drives that were kept alive by his moxie and, and by his brilliance, really, in regards to avoiding tackles and, and keeping plays alive, extending plays, throwing perfect, accurate balls there in that first half in, in a time that the game could have gone either way with, with Nevada running the football. Chevin Cordero and what he has been able to do as a co-captain of this UH football team, as a redshirt sophomore, it's funny. When you talk about his running ability and his athleticism, RJ Hollis, who, who we brought up a little earlier, hit it right on the head where he said it, it's almost like watching a video game character who has 99 agility and zero juke because the guy doesn't have the traditional moves in the open field. I mean, instead of looking like Barry Sanders out there, he looks like Usher where he's just dancing. He turns into these awkward angles. He's moonwalking past guys. I don't know how he does it, but boy, University of Hawaii football fans are lucky that he's doing it at Aloha stadium, right? Yeah, it, it, we are blessed to witness this, probably his most efficient game. Um, we've seen other times where I think he's faster than people give him credit. I thought that was evident in the Boise State game, and he really took off for some, some huge chunk runs. I've always thought his pirouette move, the feeling of pressure on the backside since the days at Kalai Pohaku, 
He uh, has the ability to feel pressure, get out of it. The extension of plays, uh, the ability to make all the throws. If this guy gets bigger, stronger, faster, more confident, he's a next level player. He is, will be uh, one of the premium stars in the Mountain West Conference moving forward. He is right now. I can tell you from a defensive coordinator standpoint, there's nobody in this league that brings up more fear that creates more opportunities for his offense to score. And we haven't even seen the best of this offense yet. As they continue to get more reps, get better timing, continue to believe in the air raid system in each other, they are capable of putting up so many points. And it all starts with number 12. You know, it's very interesting, too, is you talk about that, you know, him getting bigger and stronger and faster over the years. One thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is that on the football field, in uniform, he looks a lot smaller than he actually is out of uniform. And case in point is he took a picture next to Timmy Chang, who I don't think there's a person out there that watched Timmy Chang as a University of Hawaii football player and thought he was an undersized quarterback. He was just a quarterback. You looked at him and he just looked like a, you know, someone that would be back there. But with Shevin, you see him and he looks like he is so much smaller than everybody else on the field. But I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the, if it's the, the, the way the uniform fits on him, if it's the, the, yeah, the, the helmet size or what it is. But Sometimes when you see shoulder him, pads. Yeah, when you see him out of uniform, he's put together. He's a muscular kid. What is it? Like, I mean, do you see it too, that he looks a lot smaller playing the game of football than he does walking the streets of Honolulu? Yeah, and I think you might hit the nail on the head in terms of the optics. Sometimes it is the shoulder pads. Sometimes it's the size of your head. Sometimes it's how your shoulder pads fit over your arms and whether you look like you got guns. Uh, he is bigger. He's bigger than last year. He'll be bigger next year. And when I say that, I'm talking about probably in the core, probably in the mm -hmm. legs, the continuation of being able to drive the ball downfield. And he does, it spins out of his hands. His accuracy is uncanny. He has all the qualities of a next level quarterback. I'm just so excited about seeing the maturation. And I'm not talking about putting 20 pounds on. I'm talking about putting three to five good pounds a year for the next three years. We are so blessed that we are able to witness this. And you know what? If you look at his ability to find holes when you do things correctly, hey, take, let's just take the two-minute drill at before the halftime. Nevada's calling timeouts because they want to get the ball back. There's nothing open downfield. He broke their spirit. He broke their heart. This guy is one of the most exciting electric quarterbacks in the Mountain West Conference. Maybe in the country, he has that type of potential. And one thing that I think gets overlooked in the game of football, and especially I me mean, at that quarterback position, really any position, is his endurance is off the charts. I mean, RG talks about agility being 99. His stamina is 106 because he is someone that you never see breathing heavy. You never see him slow off the ground. You never see him wearing the, the black and blue throughout the game that he should be with the hits that he's taking. How impressed have you been with how 
you know, if I laid down a hundred highlights of Chevin Cordero over his career, and I didn't tell you in what quarter those were taken, I don't think you'd be able to tell me like, oh, that looks like that's in the second half, or that looks like it's in the first half. How does he do that, Rich? I think you're right in terms of the endurance. I also think it means so much to him to play for his teammates, to play for the University of Hawaii. And he proved that by staying home and not going to some of these power five conference schools. It also means so much to the state of Hawaii. And it also means the legacy of the Marcus Mariotas, the Tua Tunga Bailoas, the Jason Geshers, the Timmy Changs, the, um, the going back through the decades of quarterback play at St. Louis, he wants to be one of the best, one of the top of that echelon. And he's wants to prove himself on a weekly basis. Yeah. And he's on his way with, with the performance that he's had uh, against Nevada with that big win. And, and throughout his career here now as a redshirt sophomore who believe it or not, will be a sophomore again next season because of the <laughs> COVID-19 pandemic and, and everything that means in regards to the eligibility of players playing here in 2020. But you can't talk about Shevin without talking about seven because the law offices of Shevin and seven were on it on Saturday night. Calvin Turner Jr. continues to impress, continues to be on one of the fastest meteoric rises in the Hawaii superstardom that I can ever remember. Uh, I mean, I think only comparable to like a James Fenderson who only played in so many games and was able to become a superstar at the University of Hawaii. When you look at 150 all-purpose yards for a second straight week, Against Boise State, he had three touchdowns and two conversion scores. In this game against Nevada, he has a career-high 10 catches for 77 yards and a touchdown. And I think the biggest thing of what Calvin Turner did in that game against the Wolfpack is that four of his five catches in the second half were for first downs and back-breaking first downs for Nevada. And then, of course, he had the 47-yard kickoff return following a Nevada score to cut that lead into 24 to 21. Um, it just seems like on Bo's football final, we should just put this segment, you know, it being that this is the part where we talk about Calvin Turner Jr. Cause we're going to be doing it week in and week out. How impressive has this guy been? And I mentioned earlier, best football player in the conference. And when I say that the ability to return kicks, the ability to play that wildcat, the ability to play slot H back, when he has the ball in his hands and there's, you know, if there were 50,000 people at Aloha Stadium, it would be a collective gasp. It would be a collective uh, excitement in, in the air. The electricity would be there because he will not be tackled in the open field. And you mentioned four times he caught the ball in that second half and they were all for first downs or greater. The only time it wasn't is he was tripped up and that was just one of those bang, bang type of plays. He... There was a hole that I remember calling, and I remember Dan Schmidt, our producer in the head, said, because Rich, wait till you see the size of this hole when we show the replay. There wasn't a hole. And then Robert K. Kala mentioned that he waited for everything to happen. And when there was a sliver, and I'm talking about I often refer to Chevin Cadero getting skinny because he seems to turn his body all kinds of contortionist type of ways. This is a big football player that finds small holes. This is a big football player that will let people just go by him and then accelerate. And it's a sudden burst. It's a sudden change of uh, direction. It's, a, it's one of those things that you go like, 
this guy is playing a video game and these other guys are still playing, I don't know, Nintendo or whatever else. He's at a different level. He's a guy that I've already talked to a number of pro scouts that are talking about him playing at the next level. And rightfully so. He's just fun to watch. And I'm also appreciative of G.J. Kenny, uh, that offensive staff, making up plays or uh, the ability to get him the ball, whether it's a two-man game on the weak side, whether it's a fly motion, whether it's the wildcat, whether it's him in the slot. They're trying to get him the football, rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk more about Calvin Turner Jr. in a little bit because there were questions that came into the Bose football final mailbox that regard number seven. And so uh, stay tuned because we have a lot more to talk about with him and his dynamic performance, what he means to this team. Um, but uh, obviously when a, a game ends, especially in the year 2020 at 24 to 21, you know that a solid defensive effort took place in that evening. And that was what the University of Hawaii did in order to beat Nevada. We talk about Boise State and in the six first or the, the first six possessions that the Broncos had at Aloha Stadium two weeks ago was that the defense forced two punts, had a turnover in, in, in the form of an interception and allowed two field goals. And that how big that was and how if the offense could have done anything, you are looking at a whole different ball game. Well, the defense answers again, coming out of the locker rooms to start that game where this is how Nevada started their game at Aloha Stadium was back-to-back punts and then a touchdown and then a punt. You know, that, and that take, took you all the way into the third quarter because uh, of the time of possession that Nevada had. They came in with a game plan that they were the fourth-ranked passing team in the country. They had the number one receiver in the country in Romeo Dubs, averaging 155 yards per game, already with nine touchdowns. And they knew the defensive mind that Todd Graham was, was the, they were going to try to stop that passing game. And so they decided to run the football. They were able to get their yards, but in true UH fashion, as we've seen out of this defense, they make it hard for teams once they get into like that 30 yard line to put points onto the board, um, leading the charge, Darius Moussao, 14 tackles. He had a sack Corey Bethley at 11 tackles and two tackles for loss. What impressed you most about this defensive effort and really this UH defense that I don't care what anybody says. It's been a long time since we've seen a defense like this. Yeah, I really think it's been at least a decade, you know, go back to 2010 where Hawaii Mm -hmm. led uh, the nation in terms of takeaways and interceptions and all those type of things. And that was under Dave Aranda. This is more of an attacking type of defense. And I say that, and I'm almost contradicting myself because the brilliance behind this past weekend this past win against Nevada, a lot of it had to do with the back end. But let's talk about what their game plan was coming in and how they stuck to their game plan. They showed the appearance, and if you watch film, they were bringing it as much as New Mexico, San Diego State. As much as anybody in the conference, you were seeing gap cancellation, run dogs, uh, zone blitzes. This game, they showed a bunch of that, especially early, and they dropped eight. And ironically, it brings me back to 2004 or 2005. Sometimes those years run concurrently in in my (laughs) mind. It was Timmy Chang at quarterback. We were having so much success. He was one of the nation's leaders in passing. And you know what they did? They dropped eight. Because they dropped eight because they were going to say, we're going to take our eight guys, cover your four guys. If Timmy runs, we're going to pound on him. And plus, he's not going to beat you with his legs. 
Carson Strong was the same type of player. And the game plan coming in was to drop, play cover two, play cover two man, play Tampa two, play quarter, quarter halves, do things to take away the vertical passing game. Because I watched every game and Romeo Dubs was Michael Gallup or maybe even better in terms of next level player playing in the Mountain West Conference. So they took him out of the game plan. They allowed the running game to get some chunk yardage, but analytics will tell you the opening kickoff tackle at the 16 yard line, the second drive, Adam stacks punt tackle at the four yard line or the five yard line or that was where the ball was placed. They're not going to beat you driving the ball down the field. They'll make mistakes. They'll have some penalties. They'll have some miscommunications and they're not going to beat this football team unless they get Romeo dubs who Todd Graham mentioned was good for 14 points by himself each and every game, we're going to take him out of the ball game. I thought the brilliance was they did that. They, they covered up some tendencies. And then the second half, they brought some more pressure. They guessed right a number of times, but they weren't going to let the passing game, the vertical passing game of Nevada, the best in the conference, Carson Strong, the best deep ball throw in the conference, Romeo Dubs, the best receiver in the conference. He, they were not going to get beat by those things. They knew what they needed to take away. You know, after the game was over, University of Hawaii head football coach Todd Graham talked about Cortez Davis and his performance and the mission that he was placed on him in trying to slow down the nation's leading receiver. Not only did he slow him down, one catch, one catch for 10 yards. And Coach Graham had mentioned that Davis ran nine different techniques in order to make that happen in that one ball game. Can you explain to us? how impressive Cortez Davis was and how much he answered the call and trying to slow down a guy that, that you, uh, you know, relate to as being a Michael Gallup type player. There's no question. When you look at the inch back technique, when you look at the bump and run, when you look at the two man trail technique with uh, Cameron Lockridge over the top, when you look at some of the things they were doing with quarter, quarter halves, when you look at, at him blitzing off the corner, not giving away that blitz so they could uh, just smoke a throw out to, to uh, Romeo Dubs in the flat. He's doing so many things for this football team. He is so impressive in terms of hip flexibility, uh, the ability to drive out of his back pedal, the ability to transition from back pedal to turn and go, uh, the quickness that he possesses, the confidence that he plays with. He is, Rob, a guy, maybe the best, and we've, I've said this about some other people too, but he might be the best pure corner in terms of coverage that Hawaii's had in a long time. That has been an Achilles heel for this program. And Cortez Davis, if he had any more length to him, and I don't know what he'll run, he's a guy that's going to get an opportunity to play at the next level. And I give Abraham Elamimian a lot of credit because I've watched these guys at practice work on all the different techniques you talked about. You just can't go up there and do one thing. And he can do multiple things at the cornerback position, including cover, including tackle, including blitz. He's as valuable as anybody on this defense. And one thing that should be noted is that none of the touchdowns that Nevada scored um, from the passing game on Saturday night were schemed touchdowns. They were jump balls that defenders are in the right position and the receiver goes up and gets it and should be given credit for that unbelievable catches on both of those uh those uh, touchdown receptions. And so this defense definitely doing its part. Uh, you know, we can talk about Darius Muasau until we're blue in the face and how impressive <laughs> he's been and what he is doing for 
Todd Graham and the other defensive coaches on this staff in, from a recruiting standpoint of going to now other local players that play at that linebacker position and be able to say, look at what we can do for you, um, I, which I think will be big because you know that there are a lot of linebackers out here in the state of Hawaii that would be big, big, big gets for the University of Hawaii. And one guy that I want to talk about, though, is someone that was a huge recruit coming out of St. Louis at that linebacker position, and that's Isaiah Tufonga, who stepped in for an injured Jeremiah Pritchard. Now, when you look at the stat sheet, it says only two tackles on the night against Nevada, but he was in on almost every play that Darius Muasau had a tackle in. So when you see number 17 running out there, the Oregon State transfer, who, if he were to commit to the University of Hawaii coming out of high school would have been huge news for him to be a bounce back and playing the way he's playing. How big is that? Well, it's huge, Rob. And you mentioned the guys like Darius Muasau will help with the, hopefully the Windenhoulis. And Mililani has five players, I think, already in the Polynesian Bowl this year. They're loaded out there. That's the best public school in terms of talent in the state of Hawaii this next year. But yeah, when you talk about a guy like Isaiah Tufunga, there was one particular play where it was a tackle for a loss or he was in the backfield, but he's coming downhill. He's very instinctive. He's very tough. He plays with passion. And that's the same with Darius Muasau. And they play faster than I think people stereotype them for. And, and I think the Pac-12 came in here and obviously recruited Isaiah Tufunga. But somehow... Darius Muasau was not recruited as heavily as he should have been because when you talk to opposing offensive coordinators, as we do every week in this business of being, you know, broadcasting the games, the first thing they mention on defense is 53, but you're right. I think Isaiah Tufunga for the next couple of years is going to be a tackling machine in terms of his toughness, his instincts, his ability. And it's great when you see local guys either bounce back, or make the right decision to stay home and uh, be part of an exciting uh, building of this University of Hawaii football team. You know, it's interesting, uh, before we move on, uh, in regards to Darius Musa, I remember the National Letter of Intent signing day, and he was a, a commit to the University of Hawaii before his season even started, his senior year at Mililani. And so here we are, a National Letter of Intent signing day. There's the big um, signing day event that Kabika Kane puts on in Waikiki, and then St. Louis has their own thing going on and some of the other schools. And so I'm going from town to town, and I'm doing all the interviews, and uh, I go to Mililani, and Dylan Gabriel is there making his commitment to UCF. And I, and I look around, and I say, hey, where's Darius? And they said, oh, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to be a part of this. Like he, he signed his letter. He sent it in in the morning and that's that. And so I was able to track him down. I did my interview for KHON2 with Darius Muasau at the DMV in Milani <laughs> because he was getting his permit. And so, and I asked him, I said, how come you didn't want to be a part of the event? And he's like, huh, I don't know. I mean- I made my commitment. I, I sent in my letter and now it's just time to go to work. And that, I mean, if you watch him play football, that's the exact mentality that he plays with, right? Where it's kind of just like, let's go to work. Like, I don't need any glitz and glamor. I don't need to do this interview. I don't need to be on the news. I just need to play some football. And man, it, he, he's a lot of fun to watch. And, and so that's his identity. That's his playing personality. And a few weeks ago when you were on this show, you had brought up about your concern about UH to that point was what is their identity? Do the players understand what the personality of this team needs to be, what the identity of this team needs to be? And so I ask you at three and three through six games coming off a big win against Nevada, coming off a huge second half against Boise State, 
Do you think this team has formed this identity? And if so, what is that identity? Yeah, I, I think it's a continual mold. And when I say that is, you know, the identity of this team different than Rolo's team. And, and let's start off by saying there's a tremendous amount of talent that was left uh, for Coach Graham. And I think he's molding that into something special because his belief in how important it is to win the turnover battle, to possess the ball on offense, how important it is to be a, the least penalized team, to win the fourth quarter, to win on special teams, to win on the offensive and defensive line. He is a guy, he's old school, but he has that mentality of we're going to open up our offense, we're going to score points, but I want to do this with discipline. And I think when you have that mentality, and you can see it because the last couple of games, no turnovers on offense. They've won the penalty battle. They're winning in the fourth quarter. They're, they're doing a lot of things it takes to win football games. So I think with the talent they have and the systems they have, they attack on defense. Their air raid is, is, a, is a very capable offensive scoring points in, in being exciting. With the discipline factor, that will be the foundation of success moving forward. But, I, you know, they're not there yet because they still haven't played up to their potential offensively, which is scary. I think potentially on defense, we've seen quarters and sometimes halves, uh, but always attacking, always tough and physical. And I think special teams-wise, even though they didn't have a great return, although that kickoff return was huge to match that score uh, in this past game, they're starting to cover punts better. They're starting to cover kicks better. They're starting to do some things on special teams and be physical. That there is an identity being built at the University of Hawaii, and Todd Graham is the architect behind it. When you look at your experiences as being a coach at that level, being a coach in those very Aloha Stadium locker rooms, what does it say about a team that they lost two straight and, the, and that was a back-breaking stretch for the University of Hawaii football team? When you lose to San Diego State and Boise State, you are taken out of the Mountain West Conference championship picture. And now you're just playing spoiler at this point. What does it say about a team to have the performance that they did against Nevada, knowing that your title hopes are over, knowing that you're not going to get to that top two in the Mountain West Conference standings, and yet be able to play the way they did. Did that tell you anything at all about this team? Yeah, I think what it tells you, Rob, is that they like one another. They like their coaches. It may be more of a disciplinarian type of staff that's more demanding, more detailed, uh, more, there's more accountability. But at the same time, it's fun when you win. It's fun when you play. They know that nothing is promised. And in this 2020 season, Obviously, each and every week is precious to be able to play this great game of football, something you practice so hard for, something that your whole life prepares you to play at this level against these teams. And all of a sudden, that could be taken away from you. But I think the coaches are doing a good job of playing multiple guys on that defensive line, playing multiple guys at that wide receiver position, playing multiple running backs in that backfield. And you know what? It's kind of the Boise State philosophy is we're going to play you, but if you make a mistake or you don't know the, the uh, nuances, the intricacies of your certain responsibility, you may not play the next game as much. And I think that's important because the only thing you have as a coach over these players is the ability to take away playing time. 
All right, again, so 24-21, the final. The University of Hawaii beats Nevada to improve to 3-3 three and three on the season. Two games remaining on the schedule. Now, of course, San Jose State and Hawaii scheduled to play in San Jose on Saturday, but that's not going to happen in regards to being at Spartan Stadium because of COVID-19 restrictions in Santa Clara County. We'll talk a little bit more of that in just a little bit, but first things first, we got to get to the Bose football final mailbox, and as always, you can always drop me a line by finding me on social media at Rob DeMello Instagram, at Rob DeMello Facebook, and at Rob DeMello KHON on Twitter. Much mahalo to all the questions and comments that are coming in. I love when they come in as soon as the game is over, and so when I get into work on Sunday, I already have a bunch of things to choose from. And I try to go first come, first serve as much as possible. Uh, so Reggie on Instagram, one of the very first people to send this in. And so I want to get to him first, Rich. And uh, this is the question. Shevin Cordero has 25 more carries than starting running back Miles Reed. Is there any concern about safety with this scheme being how important Shevin is to this offense? Your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, first of all, um, there's always a concern. I talked to G.J. Kinney in terms of what would happen if Chevron Cordero went down, because he is, Rob, just so valuable to this University of Hawaii football team. But you start thinking, and you're the one who brought up Taysom Hill. It, would Calvin Turner Jr. be competent at that quarterback position if he had to play 70, 80 snaps a game? And his response was, it would be a little different offensively, but yes, and he is capable of throwing the football. So it is one of those deals where you would never want to lose a Chevin Cadero. And you mentioned the 70 or so, now it's probably up to 75, almost 80 quarterback runs. A lot of those runs were not by design. You still have the quarterback powers. You still have the quarterback traps. You have the obviously uh, some RPO stuff. You have the read option stuff. He is learning how to avoid contact. And usually when he scrambles, he runs out of bounds and is unscathed. There are times when he doesn't hook slide. And there was a time last uh, Saturday evening where he got a late hit penalty called on him because he was moving forward and he, and he did not hook slide. He is taking too many shots. You would like him to take less shots because he is that valuable. But he has grown into 190 pounds of you know a solid athlete. But at the same time, you're always nervous when you watch that guy run, when you watch the pressure that has been on him, and when you watch him, you know, not hook slide and, and, and take a hit. So, yes, you do. You want to see him as healthy as possible for the remainder of the season. You know, on the heels of that, it's funny. I was talking to RJ Hollis and our friend Pakalani Bello, who's on the Spectrum Sports production staff, uh, about Shevin and, and how he was looking on Saturday night. And, you know, the best way I could describe it was saying that he is so awkward in how he falls that it is somehow graceful. Right. You mentioned that earlier in the show, too. And it is. It's Gumby like it's uh, one of those deals where you can you're a contortionist and you're it's not like the smooth. I remember watching Tua Tonga by Lord, like just shake somebody down in the open field or run them over. But there was a purpose. Shevin seems to just avoid contact. And, you know, the great ones do. The Russell Wilsons, the Kyler Murrays. You know, you see guys getting hurt like today watching uh, Josh Allen or Carson Wentz or some of these bigger quarterbacks. They take more shots. They seem to get injured more. And, you know, it's a week-by-week process with Shevin Cordero. But we all need to continue to pray that this young man stays healthy. 
Yeah. And, and thanks a lot to Reggie on Instagram for, for sending that question in. And, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, yes, there is concern when, when you have a quarterback take that many shots. But with that being said, if it's Chevin Cordero at times is your offense. And if you want to win football games, then you have to move the chains. And right now, number 12 is moving the chains. So you almost have to, uh, you know, just, just live with it. Right. Uh, this, this is interesting on Instagram, our good friend, he is University of Hawaii basketball player Samuta Avea, Kahuku graduate, sent in this question asking, of all the great UH football playmakers of the past, who does Calvin Turner Jr. remind you most of? Rich, you've coached a bunch of them. Who does number seven on this UH football team jump out and say, oh, man, I, 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 that brings back memories of this guy? You know, the four or five most exciting players, you know, and I'm not talking about the quarterback position. Obviously, you could start off with Chad Owens, Devon Best, Ryan Grice Mullins. You could go with Greg Salas. You could go with Jason Rivers. There's been a lot of great football players in this program that when they got the ball in their hands, you know what their capabilities were. Calvin Turner, not just because he wears number seven, reminds me of Devon Best, the great Devon Best. Devon Best could have been an all-conference punt returner, all-conference kick returner. Obviously, was an all-conference uh, wide receiver that went to the National Football League, the slot. The, you, can you imagine putting Devon Best in the Wildcat? Can you imagine running fly sweep with Devon Best and handing him the ball off? So, you know, Devon Best's ability to put his foot in the ground, change directions. The ability to wait for things to develop, uh, just like it seemed like those two guys, Devon Best and Calvin uh, Turner Jr., appeared to be playing at different speeds. And sometimes it's not full speed. Sometimes it's even uh, they'll stop and let things go by them and develop. Sometimes there's a suddenness to burst, and then all of a sudden they're going laterally. I, I think they're special players, and he reminds me of, the great Devon Bess. Yeah, I definitely think that there's the Devon Bess element to his game. And, and I think the number seven does help. But, you know, to me, Devon Bess was such a good route runner that there wasn't very many times that you saw him catch a ball and there were a lot of defenders around him at that time. And so you saw a lot of one-on-one -on -one situations with Devon Bess. The player, to me, and I, they have a different body type, and so I think that's maybe why a lot of people don't compare him to, is Ryan Grice Mullen. You brought up RGM. I think Ryan Grice Mullen was more the type to where he catches a ball and there's three defenders in front of him, and somehow it's two steps and he's gone and he's past him. And sometimes you don't even understand why. You have to watch the replay to, to fully understand how it is that he got by this defender Calvin Turner Jr. is so fast but he doesn't seem like he's fast because of his running style it's, it's almost like he's taking these easy strides right he's not running frantically his arms aren't pumping he's not you know it's almost like uh his moves are coming from a mile away because you can see his body start to turn one direction and then he starts going in that direction next thing you know it he's past the defender and and I guarantee that defender's thinking like my God, I didn't know he was that fast. And so to me, that reminds me a little bit more of a style of Ryan Grice Mullen. But I mean, I think that it says a lot that anytime anyone is to ask this question, you start just going down the list of Greg Salas and Ashley Lee and Chad Owens. I mean, that just tells it, you it, how impressive he is. Yeah. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say Kaloha Polaris as well. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and you, know, you bring up a good point because 
De Devon Best was not as fast and sudden as Ryan Grace Mullins. So, yeah, there's been times this year when Calvin Turner, and one other thing is he anticipates things so far away happening, and he sets people up in the open field like maybe no other that we've seen in, in many, many, many years, if ever. Um, but, you know, he does have the suddenness of a Ryan Grace Mullins. And, and all of us, Rob, as analysts, as media members, don't like to get in arguments with you because you have some such great knowledge and passion that, yeah, I can see a little bit of all of these great players combined into one. All right. So here's a quick question. Uh, I, I think he's the most dynamic and, and electric and exciting playmaker with the ball in his hand since John Ursua, you could say, right. Which was just a couple of years ago, but I think there's an argument that, you know, with John Ursua, it's the position he played and, you know, he wasn't going to impact the game unless a quarterback was having a good game and to get him that ball. And, you know, so let's remove John from that conversation. Who is Calvin Turner Jr. the most explosive player with the ball in his hands since, I mean, do you have to go back to Greg Salas? Well, you know, let's think about this, right? And there's an argument with Taysom Hill, and I don't agree with this at all, that he's not good enough to be a quarterback every down he's not good enough to be a slot every down he's not good enough to be a running back every down to me I don't go for that argument because this guy is capable of hurting you in more ways by lining him up as a kick returner a lot of guys won't do that because they're worried about their star player getting hurt lining him up in the wildcat and having the being cerebral enough to understand all the different footwork and technique things it takes to be a quarterback. And we're going to see this guy, by the way, throw the ball by the end of the uh, end of the year, lining him up as an H back in helping in protection and going out to the flats, lining him up in the slot and teaching him route trees. And I'm not just talking about route trees, reading defenses, sitting down in terms of uh, in coverages and all those other things. This guy, they're putting a lot on his plate and he's responding. I'd rather have a guy like, Calvin Turner be able to do so many things well and become a nightmare for every single defensive coordinator, special teams coordinators, people thinking about how many different ways this guy can hurt you because eventually you start thinking about, we've got to take Calvin Turner away. And guess what happens is Jared Smart beats you. Nick Mardner beats you. Chevin Cadero is going to continue to beat you. And, but there is two guys on this team that every defensive coordinator has to game plan for Chevin and and seven, seven and seven. seven, and seven. Yeah, we got to trademark that, as, uh, that thing. I'm going to use that as one of my lines next week, bro. Yeah, all right. Just make sure you send royalties my way. All right. <laughs> but, hey, you know, uh, I it, with Calvin Turner Jr., it, he's just doing things that we haven't seen, right? I mean, and that's the best way to put it is that there's great playmakers. He's in that lineage of, of great playmakers. But uh, I mean, who, who's the last guy that, that, that has taken a snap at quarterback and, and taken a snap at slot back and caught a touchdown. You have to go back to 2000 and say in 2001, right. Who, yeah. who, who is a slot back who was kind of used as a wildcat in the red zone by June Jones in a way uh, before wildcat was a thing. So, I mean, he's just doing things you haven't seen in a very long time here at the university of Hawaii. It's impressive. And, and each week it gets more and more impressive. And I know there's a lot of people praying that he comes back next season, but the way I see it is enjoy it while you can 
uh, because this guy has a pro future in front of him. And if it happens right away or it happens uh, a little bit down the road, I, I think it's it's pretty clear that an NFL football team is going to want him. And, and no matter what kind of role he plays, I mean, let's say just for argument's sake that he, he's not a superstar in the National Football League. He has a long career ahead of him because – Every team in the league wants him on their practice squad, if anything, because no matter who you're playing, it's like, hey, let's put Calvin at quarterback for this week. Oh, let's put him at slot. Let's put him at kick return. Let's put him at wide receiver. Let's make him a running back this week to prepare for this next team. So, I mean, that guy has a future in front of him for sure. All right. Question number three comes from Shannon on Facebook. Uh, asking if Hawaii can finish five and three or four and four. Keep in mind, they're three and three. Do you think, that will be good enough to get them into a bowl game. You know, it's interesting. And, and you'll know, obviously, uh, I know there's obviously no Hawaii Bowl. There's no Bermuda Bowl. And those are logistically challenging bowl games. But there's still, I think, ESPN owns 17 bowl games. You know, the fact that fans won't be in attendance this year, I think actually helps Hawaii because it's hard to travel when you're, you know, 2,700 nautical miles away from the continent. But I, if you're looking for an exciting football team that uh, is going to do a lot of things that, you know, will make the broadcast good and, and, and represent the state of Hawaii, this team deserves at five and three to go to a bowl game. Uh, at four and four, I think with this landscape and an eight game uh, schedule, they, you know, still deserve it, so to speak. I don't know who will pull the trigger based upon the travel costs and everything associated with this team, but if they're five and three and they don't go to a bowl game, it is kind of a travesty. Uh, but the great thing for Hawaii fans to look forward to is say that some of these guys aren't really highly rated by the national football league. And this whole team comes back for not a truncated season next year, but a real season with Pac-12 opponents with, you know, a chance to win the Mountain West Conference and go to, uh, you know, uh, maybe the Sheraton Bowl or, excuse me, the Aloha Bowl or something bigger. This is a building team that's very exciting to watch that we hope will go to a bowl game this year. Yeah, and the way I see it is that once they eliminated bowl requirements uh, for bowl eligibility uh, because of the COVID-19 season, I, I think that pretty much sealed Hawaii's fate in regards to unless they made it to the Mountain West Conference Championship game, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in them going to a bowl game because it would require a bowl game taking them and, you know, paying for the travel where they could grab anyone. They could grab someone in their hometown that's 0-8 and, and have them play in that bowl game or, or whatever grab it is. Penn State at 1-5. Exactly. So I think that, it, you know, it's a, it's a tall task uh, to try and, and, and do that. Uh, what I think is more interesting is that with the COVID-19 season, I mean, you saw San Diego State get a game canceled and two days later, they're, they're on a plane going to Colorado to play in this unplanned game that just out of nowhere. So the way I see it is that, hey, when December 12th is over and, and that UNLV game is done, that final regular season game, that December 19th week of the Mountain West Conference Championship game, which you know you're not playing in, why don't you just get someone on the phone and make your own bowl game, right? I mean, it's like a little impromptu bowl game uh, against someone on the West Coast. Maybe there's another Pac-12 cancellation and you can give uh, someone a call and say, hey, we'll fly up and play you. And, you know, maybe that's something the University of Hawaii uh, is willing to do in order to give this team one more game. Uh, so I think that there are possibilities of them playing beyond December 12th, but I just don't see it 
being a bowl game. If if a nine and four 2001 UH football team can't go to a bowl game after beating two ranked opponents with one of them being an undefeated team in the top 10 in their last game of the year and can't be invited to a game uh, and, and therefore you need the creation of the Hawaii Bowl in 2002 to guarantee yourself a game if you earn one, then I think in 2020, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, Robert. It would be nice. Uh, obviously, we want to we're still hoping and praying we play San Jose State this week. Uh, we're successful to play UNLV the next week. We get the full game, eight get eight games slate uh, finished, and and that in itself is a blessing this year. But imagine you know calling up the University of Utah, the University of Washington, and saying, "Hey, let's just play a ninth game or whatever game number that is for these Pac-12 opponents." Somebody that I think the fans of Hawaii would be. Uh, interested in and the, and the West Coast would be interested in. You get decent television ratings and you pay for some of your travel subsidies and costs. And just to play that ninth game against the, you know, when you look at this season coming in, I, I know I was salivating at, with the you know, Oregon, with I think it was uh, Arizona, UCLA. I think UCLA. This would have been one of the greatest regular seasons in Hawaii history with the talent on both sides of the ball to be competitive with those type of institutions. And that would have been a quantum leap uh, nationally for this program to compete against those type of teams this season, but it didn't happen. Yeah, for sure. And, and again, thank you to everyone who sent in questions and comments to the Bose football final mailbox. Again, you can catch me on Instagram at Rob DeMello, also Facebook there and at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N on Twitter. All right. So you brought up San Jose State. That is the scheduled seventh game of the year as the Rainbow Warriors are three and three. The Spartans are four and oh after some cancellations to their season, including last week against Boise State. So the game is scheduled to be at San Jose State. We already know that won't happen because of the COVID-19 restrictions that are placed in Santa Clara County. So now at the time of this recording, it is unclear where this game will take place. Um, I think a precedence has been set because when New Mexico had the exact same situation happen to them with restrictions to Albuquerque, that home game for New Mexico became a road game at San Jose State. So I feel like the Mountain West Conference, San Jose State, owe it to the University of Hawaii because you did that already this season. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if San Jose State is saying there's no way we're coming to Hawaii, our undefeated season, and having to flip it into the most difficult place to play because of travel and facing the Rainbow Warriors. So I think that it's most likely that the game will be played in in either Las Vegas um, or uh, maybe a, a Mountain West city, a Mountain West stadium that is not being used on Saturday. Again, nothing is known at this time, but I do anticipate a game taking place on Saturday. And so let's talk about that. If this game is played, this is an upstart San Jose State team, obviously, led behind Brent Brennan, who's been doing awesome things with that program, growing steadily over the years. And then now you see the, the fruits of his labor uh, with Nick Starkle at quarterback, a 70% passer, nine touchdowns to just two interceptions. Trey Walker and Bailey Gaither are their premier receivers uh, having over 600 yards combined six touchdowns for them in their four games played this season. Um, your thoughts on this San Jose state program and, and what they've been able to do over the last couple of years to be the program that they are right now. Yeah. First of all, I think that Todd Graham, this staff, these players would play in a parking lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I really think they developed that mentality. And I think, 
when something gets taken away or potentially taken away and they've had games taken away from them, they've had potential bowl games taken away from uh, these players. So yeah, they just want to play anywhere, any uh, place, any time. And, um, but I do think that uh, Brent Brennan has done a nice job, uh, similar to what was happening in Nevada and uh, Jay Norvell in terms of building a foundation through recruiting, building a foundation of getting solid coaches with uh, great philosophies and recruiting their kind of guys, so to speak. And you're right, Bailey Gaither and, and that other receiver, the quarterback is, is, is doing well. You look at the offensive and defensive lines, they're running the ball well. They're playing a good brand of football. But I, I, again, it goes back to not worrying about who your opponent is in executing what you do. And, you know, that's, again, a cliche. But we talked ad nauseum about the fact that the University of Hawaii is one of the most talented teams in the Mountain West conferences. They have good schemes on both sides of the ball. They're starting to believe in each other. I think they'll, they'll beat San Jose. They'll beat UNLV. They'll end up being five and three and hopefully play another game. And this is going to be a challenge, and it's going to be most likely on a neutral site or somewhere on the road. It'd be a, another signature victory for this program, but one that Hawaii is very capable of, and I can't wait to see it played, the worst-case scenario that it gets called off. Yeah, absolutely, and, and especially because – University of Hawaii and San Jose State games have been awesome over the years. You know, it's not one of those programs that traditionally comes to mind as a rival. But when you look at the scores of these games, when you look at how closely these games were played, I mean, you're looking at a time where, you know, UH was uh, in the glory days and the highest of highs and still needed four overtimes to beat them. The all-time series is 22 to 19 Hawaii. So, I mean, that's close there. And that's with UH winning the last four meetings the last time they played was a shootout 42 to 40. And so I just think anytime you can get UH and San Jose state on a football field. Oh, that's That's for, that, that sets you up for a good weekend, my friend. Yeah. Especially when this team looks at the fact that we're going to face three undefeated teams in a row, Boise state in the conference. Then it was this past week in Nevada. Now it's San Jose state. That's the kind of games you get up for. And you're right, Rob, anyone that has any, recollection of this series just a few years ago I remember calling a game and that was a game of multiple overtimes it always seems to come down to the last possession the style of plays sometimes are different but yet at the same time it's explosive it's exciting it's a college football game at a very high level and whether there were 6,000 Hawaii fans at San Jose State or there's 20,000 at Aloha Stadium it doesn't matter that there's going to be zero fans. It matters that they play this game and Hawaii comes away with another resounding victory over a good football program as they continue to lay this foundation. All right, real quickly, I mean, keeping things relative and when we talk about the University of Hawaii being three and three, when you look at the, what is this, the ninth year that they are in the Mountain West Conference having joined it in 2012, um, they've only been three and three or better three times in those nine years they have never been four and two ever in their history of being mountain west conference members so we're not looking at the university of hawaii you know always being four and two five and one or whatever and they're coming up short and being three and three they are keeping the program where the program has been and obviously you want to see it grow but in my opinion just as long as you're not taking a step back you are on your way right um, when you look at who the University of Hawaii has played this season, 
They beat Fresno State. They beat Nevada. They lost to San Diego State. They're two and one against their division. And although there's no divisions yet this season, you know, those seeds are always being planted. Next year, when you face off again, you have that superiority over that team that you have beaten. And so how significant is that, that if Hawaii can beat San Jose State um, with UNLV still play, still to play on the schedule, and as you predict that those are two winnable games for the University of Hawaii, if they were to beat all the teams in their division except one in a season, what does that say about this program moving forward? Well, I think, you know, we need to, you can't erase history. And part of that history were some bad seasons uh, in the Mountain West Conference. But if you look at the last two years, and if you look at this year, especially if they can win the next two games, I, I'm not ready to say, although I want to say, you know, the Boise States, the San Diego States, the perennial powers of the Mountain West Conference, look out. But I guarantee you, when you get in that film study room, whether that's Brady Hope, whether that is um, uh, Brian Har Harson, what's the Boise State's coach Harson, name? Harson, yep. Brian, Brian Harson, or if you get into any of these coaching rooms and they see the weapons that Hawaii possesses, and it's just not skilled players that we talk about on a daily basis. It's this off the potential of this offensive line, the athleticism. It's the Jonah Laulus and the Blessman Ta'alas and, 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 and Tavai and all these other guys, Panay Pavihi, and it's the ability for Hawaii to, if they're playing at a high level, to beat anybody in the Mountain West Conference and to compete at a Pac-12 level. And when people hear this podcast, they're gonna think, wow, the glass is overflowing with Rich Miano and Rob DeMello. But I promise you, because I know some of these coaching staffs and they're not just talking jargon when they say, Hawaii is a tough out offensively. Wow, Hawaii attacks defensively. If they continue to play well on special teams and put like guys like Calvin Turner back returning kicks, Adam Stack continues to boom punts. If they get continued consistency kicking field goals, I promise you the Pac-12 will think Hawaii is a tough out. Well, the University of Hawaii has a huge opportunity if a game is played against San Jose State to add to that respect. At 3-3 three and three on the season, they're going to be taking on San Jose State on Saturday in parts unknown currently at the time of this recording. But again, stay with KHON2 throughout the week as we will provide the latest both on air and online as to where and when this game between the Rainbow Warriors and Spartans will be played. But Rich, it's been a lot of fun as it always is, my man. Rainbow Warrior football reaching the, the the finish line here in this 2020 season um but if a game is played on saturday we will have it on spectrum sports pay-per-view with you and robert kikaula making the call i'll be joined by kabika hallams rj hollis and nady lawa but much mahalo to everybody for listening to bose football final every monday at kjun2.com and everywhere you listen to podcasts rich you want to send us on out aloha and look for hawaii to run the table all right here we go Shoots! <laughs>